0: Hello and welcome to Football Digest Extra Time, our Monday edition of Football Digest podcast, where we throw it back to what we deem to be the biggest game of the weekend. And today, we're going to be throwing it all the way back to Saturday evening. I think it was the half-five kickoff off the top of my head. At Anfield, where Liverpool drew one-all with Chelsea, I'm joined by Adam Newson, Chelsea correspondent for Football London, and Alex Richards, assistant sports editor for Mirror Online. We're going to look through the game. We're going to look through the somewhat controversial decisions, and then we're going to look forward to some transfer news. Of course, it's transfer deadline day tomorrow. So if we if we look back on the game first, we'll come on to specifics later. Adam, um, like the red card and 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 such. Um, But what what did you make of the game overall?
1: I thought the first half was excellent, really entertaining. Um, Chelsea had a real genuine threat on the counter, uh, but Liverpool had their own threat as well. Um, obviously, the red card influenced things, and then it was very much how Chelsea would defend that second half. And I think we've seen under Tuchel, throughout his tenure, how well Chelsea are now set up, how well they're structured to defend, and it really came to the fore in that second half. Um, it's interesting that he stayed with the back three or, or back five, what, what was. Um, rather than go to a four um, and that really did help Chelsea contain Liverpool. Um, There were a couple of saves for Eddie Mendy to make from from shots from from distance but really Liverpool didn't create anything too threatening for Chelsea um, which I say is is really down to how well Tuchel has got this team coached.
0: Uh, Alex it, it was pretty much the you know the proverbial game of two halves really D- due to the red card it was it was pretty even the first half I think Chelsea probably edged it um, and then the second half obviously with Chelsea down to 10 men um, it, it was attack versus defence really but Alex how did you see the game overall what, what were your immediate thoughts afterwards
2: no I think as you said it was, it was very much a game of two halves um, as Adam said I think Chelsea were, were excellent for the first 45 minutes or so I thought they defended really diligently and and on the counter attack, they were a huge threat for Havertz and Mount. Both both played in really interesting positions, just coming off off Lukaku, just just not quite going wide and and but not quite going up high enough that they could be marked. They were just always there, always either side of Fabiño, making him have to have to sweep left or sweep right, and and both of those caused Liverpool problems. I, I think Mount, one touch in particular, going down the left, he, he plucked the ball out of out of the air and did a Cruyff turn on the on the half volley and. I think was a a quite remarkable piece of skill that almost set up another goal. Havertz scoring in in yet another big game. He's really really growing. I think Gary Neville was effusive on commentary in his praise of Havertz and how he's developing. Um, And and I just think that had they stayed eleven v eleven, I think I think Chelsea may well have had Liverpool's number on the day. Um, Because while Liverpool were looking lively and while they were certainly playing their part in an end to end game weren't really creating all that much um and and Chelsea looked good there were other opportunities where they they counter attacked and, and they had two v two v ones or three v2s four v3s on the break and and just that right pass wasn't quite there or the, over the, the finish was lacking um certainly they they looked for me the better team and then obviously the game all hinged on on the red card and from that point on they they were down to ten men and Quite frankly, if they did a, a terrific job of of holding Liverpool at bay in that second half and coming away with a point,
0: you mentioned the red card. There, uh, it would be very difficult to to speak about this game without going into the red card decision in some detail. I think, obviously, when we've looked back at it, I think it's if you can see me on the video version of the podcast, um, I'm doing this scoop in motion with my arm, and I think that that's probably what has um, you know what has done James in the end. Um, but Adam, you were at the stadium, of course. Firstly, what did you make of it? And um, when you watched it in real time and and then what did you make of the decision once you saw all the replays afterwards?
1: Yeah, in real time, it was such a scramble, that incident. Um, I thought it was quite clear that James had handled the ball and from that moment, I was waiting for VAR to intervene. Uh, I guess when you watch the replay, it does bounce off his knee first and then onto his arm. But as you say, there is a bit of a forward motion there, which I think is probably... Just quite instinctive on James's part, you know. You're a defender. You're trying to keep the ball out, and you move your arm forward just instinctively to try and, and stop the goal. <laughs> Anthony Taylor didn't take a, a too longer look at, um, at the screen, uh, probably about a couple of seconds, just at the still image, which Thomas Tuchel was not happy about at all. Um, but you can understand the decision. The red card feels harsh, but given it denied a clear goal, um, maybe a penalty isn't. The right justice in that because obviously that can be missed so yeah it was very uh, a very complicated decision um I think Andy Taylor probably got it right but it doesn't change the fact that it did alter the game and you know Thomas Tuchel spoke afterwards about how it ruined the game and whether you agree with that or not I guess um is, if you're a defending purist because uh, that Chelsea second half performance was very enjoyable to watch in a very different way than the first half one was
0: a lot of the talk after the game Alex focused on or at least some of the talk anyway focused on the double jeopardy and I, th- I don't think anybody would um, you know disagree that the, the referee made the right decision and sending him off as per the rules but do you think maybe that the rules should maybe be changed so that a team doesn't get punished twice for an incident like that because obviously there was the penalty and the red card so it's like a double punishment for, for one decision I don't know what you think about that I, th- I think in
2: it's an it's an awkward one because, you, from my perspective on the incident, Rhys James handballs it, and that, that forward motion for me, he knows what he's doing. It, 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 I'm not saying it's intentional, but he knows that he is bringing his arm forward because he's on the goal line, and that ball has flipped off his thigh, and he's probably going past him. So he knows what he's doing. For me, for me, it, it, it's a red card. I think if there were situations where. It's, it's a it's a handball or or something to that effect where someone's getting sent off and it's unintentional, then yeah, then yeah, certainly that's that's something that I think they still need to, to look at. But as I say, in, in this in this situation, I think it's it's quite clear that he, he's just panicked. It's no, nothing else to it. It's his, his, his fight. He knows where he is, he knows he's on the goal line. He knows it's going to be a goal. So so he's just brought his arm forward with that forward motion just to purely deny it. Um, there was a lot, as you say, of, of kind of hoo-ha about, oh, it's, it's his fire or it's, he, he didn't mean it, it happened so quickly. I don't buy that. And when he's in that situation, he knows exactly where he's on the goal line and he knows what he's doing. The, the arm motion just completely give it away. Um, if his arm had stayed still, you, you could turn around and say, oh, you know, this, this would be a different conversation. This would be, yeah, it, it hit his arm, it's denied a goal, but he hasn't meant it his arm going forward and the way he did it, the way he moved, he knew exactly what he was doing. It, it happened so sharp, it happened so quickly. It's a snap decision. You see all the time when when a player miscontrols the ball and then lunges into a tackle. It's just a very, very split second of panic when when something goes slightly wrong. And I think that's what, ha- that's what happened here. So I, I do think that, as Adam says, Anthony Taylor did get the right decision. And and as the laws say, he should have been sent off. I think there is, there is a situation where the, the double jeopardy standard is is looked at and reviewed and, and that perhaps it is ended in some cases. But I think in this this particular incident, I think the referee got it spot on all, all the way across the board.
0: The red card obviously was the pivotal moment of the game, probably probably turned turned on that to be honest, well certainly did, judging by the attack versus defence that we saw in the second half, Adam, but in the first half, uh, for 45 minutes at least, it, it was a really good game and Alex has kind of touched on it um, before, but what, what did you make of the first half before the red card? Because presumably we were looking there at two teams who are very much going to be in the mix for the title this season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I thought, as you know, Alex said, Chelsea were, were fantastic in that first half. The way they set up um, really did cause Liverpool a lot of problems. And if their final pass had been better on two or three occasions, they would have had clear one-on-ones with Alisson. Um, I think a lot of Chelsea's season is going to hinge on the fitness of Angola Kante. Um, he went off at half time, which kind of makes what Chelsea did in the second half that extra bit impressive because you can argue they didn't just lose one man, they lost two um, in Kante <laughs> going off as well. Um, so as long as he stays fit, and I think central midfield is an area that is, is probably Chelsea's only weakness now, um, I really do think Chelsea are going to mount a strong title challenge this year. Um, for Liverpool, having Virgil van Dijk back is massive. Having a settled defensive is massive. Um, and as long as Liverpool have that, uh, I don't see any reason why they genuinely don't, don't launch a title challenge again. Um, I mean, maybe there's a, an element of Roberto Firmino not being quite the, the influence he was in that team but Joe Gajot has come in and has and sort of settled in really quickly to that Liverpool team seems a perfect fit for that sort of false nine role um, so yeah I genuinely think both of those teams will be sort of in the mix come, come the end of the season for sure
0: we've seen this season there's been a little bit of a change in the way that referees look at incidents they've um they're starting to be a little bit more lenient. They're starting to let more things go, certainly compared to last season, where I think most people would agree that, um, you know, it became a little bit of a joke. The stuff that they were whistling for and, and giving decisions for via VAR. Um, Jurgen Klopp has said that he doesn't like it this season. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is liking it to rugby, I think, or, or some other such game. Um Gary Neville said that he does like it. He likes the physicality. He likes the fact uh, that referees are, are letting more go and, and being more lenient. Um, but Alex, what have you made of the, the the new sort of refereeing standards, I suppose, this season so far?
2: I, th- I think it's it's been good. It's certainly letting games flow more. Uh, I think we saw during the European Championships in the summer um, a much improved general standard of refereeing in that tournament it went, when compared to last season's Premier League. But referees across the Euros, I didn't think there were many particularly controversial instance where we looked at and, and hammered referees post post matches um I thought they they dealt with things and, and they let games flow really well and I think that's kind of what the Premier League are trying to to bring in again because there's no doubt that in the last couple of seasons there's been so many stop start games where where you've had little incidents that you, you just saw whistles going and you thought what 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 is the need to blow up there you can just let the play go on you can you can, you know, let the game go and bring it back for a booking if you deem deem certain things um, to be a yellow card. I think one of the things that does need to be got away from is every foul isn't a yellow card, um, and that seemed to be something that was creeping in in recent years. Now I'm I'm very much game for let's have some, let's let some challenges go. Let's let's do things that encourage the game to continue at a quick pace and to continue moving we all want the ball in play as much as possible Um but there are going to be those incidents where you you have players flying in two-footed and whatnot where they have to be punished and 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 I think at the moment referees are largely getting the right balance um, there's obviously no shortage of controversy this weekend with with Mike Dean hey ho what a surprise that is um with the Manchester United goal he let that go Replay showed that perhaps he shouldn't have the VAR didn't interject either. That's one of those where you think, okay, that's, a, that's just a, a tackle that's pretty, you know, studs up, it might be a little bit high, whatever your interpretation of it. That's not the sort of thing we're talking about. We're talking about players just battling players, 50-50s, standing up, putting a shoulder in, being allowed to get on with it. And I think on the whole, we saw at Anfield players being allowed to get on with it. After Taylor on the whole. If you, you take out the Rhys James red card, which we agreed here, but you think he actually got right. If you take that out, I think his game on the whole was very, very good. He let things go and, and he let teams he let teams battle and compete, and I think that's what we want to see. And, and I'm quite happy with referees allowing players to do that.
0: I think just on the the subject of officials, quickly, I think at the top of my list of eradicating things from football is a. Uh, when they don't blow for offside, why is that being brought in? When you know, they, they let everything go, I just find that so annoying. Just to go off on a complete tangent, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we'll get we'll get back to the game from uh, from side. Anyway, Adam, um we mentioned before before we came on air about Kai Havertz. Um, obviously, scored a goal. Um, you know, his game's not necessarily just about goals per se, um, but it was a lovely header from a from a player you wouldn't necessarily
1: associate with, with scoring goals like that. But how important do you think he can be for Chelsea this season? Oh, absolutely massive! Um, I think you look back at his time at Bayer Leverkusen, how he evolved into such a key player for them. And when he arrived at Chelsea, there was this expectation that he would just be that guy. Um, his first season at Chelsea wasn't easy he was sort of played as an eight by Frank Lampard and didn't really work. He then had COVID um, Then had another injury. Um, even sort of after Tuchel came in, there wasn't an immediate uplift. It was, it was sort of late sort of March, early April that, that start, things started to click for him. But um, that Champions League final goal was so important for him. I think he's spoken about it. Just the, the sort of feeling of acceptance and confidence it has given him coming into this season that, um, uh, he's going to be a huge player for Chelsea. Um, his quality is, is beyond doubt. His his temperament is fantastic. And I think he's sort of, he's sneaky good in the air. Um, you saw that header. It was <laughs> such a good header. Um, and you see his height. He should be good in the air. Um, so yeah, I think he's going to be hugely influ- influential for Chelsea. You sort of look at that front three of, of Lukaku, Mount and Havertz, and it's probably going to be Tuckle's go-to, um, especially in the biggest games this season. And it, it does offer a lot of different attributes, a lot of different approaches that Chelsea can attack with. So, yeah, um, should be a good, uh, a good, good watch. Chelsea this season, especially with those three in attack.
0: You mentioned that he's going to be playing up top with Lukaku. Presumably, you know him. Um, you know, Havertz, Lukaku, and are going to be the front three for this season. But bringing in somebody like Romelu Lukaku, Adam. Um, will probably free up more space for the likes of Havertz and actually might, you know, be a good thing for him as, as well as obviously Lukaku's good for Chelsea, but it might be good for Havertz as well because Lukaku's going to take up so much of, you know, a defender's attention that that, that might leave Havertz a little bit more free, you would think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same for Mount. You know, Lukaku attracts defenders. His, his sheer physicality will take defenders out of the game and um, that will create space for Havertz and Mount. um I'm very interested to see at some point whether or not we see uh, a Lukaku Timo Werner partnership in a few games because I think that tandem approach of, of the threat behind and the the threat of uh, Lukaku and his physicality might create even more space for someone like a or Mason Mount to exploit between the midfield and defence. And um, I'm sure we'll see that at some point uh, by Thomas Tuchel because Thomas Tuchel really does like Timo Werner um, despite his his lack of of genuine goal threat over the, maybe the last year, but. Um, yeah so Tuchel's got so many more options you know we haven't even spoken about Christian Pulisic Hakeem Ziyech Callum Hudson-Odoi these guys are still uh, in the, waiting in the wings at Chelsea for an opportunity so the sheer, the sheer sort of volume of, of different attributes and different attacking threats Chelsea have is, is why I generally think they'll be sort of pushing for the title this year Speaking of important players
0: Alex we've, we've seen Virgil van Dijk back for Liverpool now um, he's had a few games probably still getting up to speed to be fair but um you know, he, he had a he had a good first half against Chelsea and then obviously didn't have an awful lot to do. Um, in the second, do, do you think that the return of Van Dyke obviously, you know, we saw, we saw last season the, the effect of, you know, losing him on Liverpool and it wasn't a positive one. Um, but do you think that he is of a standard that he can bring Liverpool back up to be title contenders this season? Or do you think that now other teams have made so many signings and that they do lag behind just a little bit?
2: I think think Liverpool are very much in the conversation. Um, Liverpool's starting eleven is good enough to go toe-to-toe with anybody anywhere. Um, And he is obviously a huge part of that. I think there's just a a certain level of comfort that he brings to everybody else in that team when they know that he's behind them. Um, We saw the occasions on Saturday where he and Lukaku went head-to-head and you see Van Dijk stroll away with the ball and look. Almost effortless in in dealing with somebody the, the sheer size, pace, uh, and ability of Lukaku, who we know come back into defenders and hold them off and, and playing teammates. Van Dijk dealt with him very well on occasions. Um, what he also brings is a, a, a wonderful crossfield ball that really does get Liverpool moving forwards as well. Uh, and I ju- I just think he he looks he looks almost fully back to his best. You know, there's still a couple of. A couple of games he needs to get under his belt to just to get that little bit of that little bit of extra sharpness, that extra up to speed, shall we say? But so far so good, I think on on his side of the fence. we We're still waiting on Joe Gomez to really come back. Um, Ibrahim Kanate obviously came in the summer, but John Matip's been preferred. I thought Matic was very good at the weekend for, for large parts as well. Um, I just think Liverpool. What I would have liked to have seen from them in the second half was just giving a, a, a little extra dimension to their play, asking more questions of Chelsea. And I think it came down the right hand side. Um, you had Trent Alexander Arnold tucking in a lot. You had Harvey Elliott and Mo Salah, both left wing players, drifting out there, but they also naturally want to tuck in. I think that was a bit where Liverpool let themselves down. Um, if they can, if they can rectify that. And just give themselves another outlet of somebody that can go outside the left back and hit the byline and pull balls back like we've seen Manchester City do so often. And I think that will give them another little little outlet that will really make them contenders once more. Um, For me, Joe, there's no doubt that Liverpool in this battle this season for the Premier League title, there are four teams and Liverpool are very much amongst it.
0: I've just looked at the clock. It's been 18 minutes and 59 seconds and we haven't spoken about Cristiano Ronaldo, so I'm probably going to have to rectify that. But of course he has. I mean, it's not particularly linked to Liverpool or Chelsea, but Ronaldo's probably linked to everything, such as his star power. Um, he has signed for Man United, although I'm not 100% sure it's actually official yet, is it? I think they've still got to agree some details, but you know, he pretty much has signed. Um, he's 36 years old. His star power and his name, possibly are even greater than his ability um, but with, with Lukaku going to Chelsea Adam I mean if, if it was like a toss up between the two you know, even for just a couple of seasons who would you choose? Would you choose Lukaku or would you choose Ronaldo? Do you think Chelsea have made the better signing basically is what I'm asking?
1: Oh, that's a very tough question um, look, I think it's interesting that Thomas Tuchel spoke uh, before the end of last season about what he wanted from this summer transfer window and before all else he said he wanted excellent characters, players who are going to fit into this, this Chelsea dressing room in terms of the team ethos, in terms of that uh, the sort of effort and energy put into performances. There aren't major sort of genuine superstars in that Chelsea dressing room. Um, obviously, Gola Kante, but we kind of know his personality. He's an egotistical guy. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo, had he signed for Chelsea, would have brought the sort of arrogance and confidence to, to, to Chelsea, but it also would have brought the I'm taking the pens, I'm taking the free kicks, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I'm not sure that necessarily would have fit into what Tuchel wants this team to be. So in that sense, yeah, I think Romelu Lukaku is probably the better signing for this Chelsea as it is now. Uh, he's a boyhood Chelsea fan. He, he feels the club um, in a different way, which is something Tuchel's highlighted, something he wanted. So in that sense, yeah, I think Romelu Lukaku is probably the better fit for this Chelsea side. Whether or not he'll score more goals than Cristiano Ronaldo this season, I mean it could happen. I'm not. I'm not sure Cristiano Ronaldo is probably going to hit 30 goals as as maybe some people do. But um, look for Manchester United. It's given him a bit of an aura this season again, and Ronaldo will score goals. It's just whether or not um, the goals he scores are enough to sort of bridge that gap to from United to to City or to Liverpool or to Chelsea. Because you know I think we know this United team. They've got a lot of options. Um, they've got a lot of threat already. And uh, that was before signing Ronaldo. So um, I'm very intrigued to see how it works out. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm as a Chelsea reporter, I'm happy with, with Romelu Kaku.
0: Just on Ronaldo, Alex, obviously he's going to bring goals. Arguably, he takes away goals from other players as well, though, because, you know, he comes into the team and he is, you know, the man. He's the star man. And, you know, rightly so. He's done it for several several years, sort of 15 years of his career. Um, arguably Juventus became a worse team while Ronaldo was there I don't know if that's a coincidence um, or whether you know the impact of Ronaldo coming in and everything having to go through him um, rather than being a kind of team effort um, you know it made them worse obviously they didn't win the league last year um, but w- what do you think his impact will be at Man United do you think he'll have an impact on Bruno Fernandes um,
2: and, and you know just generally what do you think? Well I think he'll certainly have an impact on Bruno Fernandes I think as Adam says there they want to take penalties, they want to take free kicks. Both both things Bruno Fernandes currently does for Manchester United. Um, look, we we know all about Ronaldo. We know what a, an absolutely fantastic player he's been. We know what a tremendous goal scorer he, he has been and, and what he is. Did Manchester United need to make this signing? No. Do I think they signed him purely because they feared him joining Manchester City? Possibly. Um, but what I would say is that. He will get goals. He will be a leader in that dressing room. <laughs> will it be enough to make this Manchester United team winners? Is the big question. Now, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, at the start of last week, if if Manchester United were were contending for the league title with a couple of games to go, we would say that's that's forward progress for Manchester United once again this season, and it probably buys Ole Gunnar Solskjaer another another year at the or side with Cristiano Ronaldo in his ranks so there's, there's no excuses now. Manchester United have to win something. They There has to be some silverware on the table at the end of the season. It's not good enough that we just say Manchester United have improved again. Mm-hmm. That signing has, has taken a United team that has a lot of high-class young players and outstanding talent into, into win-now mode. They have to win. Um, you can you now can argue as well, Jaden Sancho costing big money, Rafael ran a serial winner. That those two signings do it Ronaldo definitely does um, so Manchester United at the end of this season for me unless they win the Premier League or unless they win the Champions League this season's gonna, going to be a failure and failure is a strong word but that's what it will be if Manchester United the self-styled biggest football club in the world don't win a major trophy with him in that team Um Obviously, what I'm looking at with Ronaldo is whose game time is he going to take? Because so impressed with Mason Greenwood, um, and and he started the season seemingly like a player with a point to prove who has grown and is developing further. I, I don't see how he can lose his place in the team at the moment. I think Marcus Rashford's injury it means that he's on the sidelines at the moment. Of course, I think it might be difficult for Marcus Rashford to get back in that team. Um, You've got Edison Cavani, of course, on a, on a big money contract. We know all about him. Anthony Marshall, where does he stand right now? Because you could make the argument that he's gone from being the first choice, number nine, to possibly even fourth choice um, behind Cavani, Ronaldo, and Greenwood. You've got Sancho, where does he fit exactly? You know, we all assume that he was being signed to play on the right side of attack. Well, he started on the left at Wolves which I found surprising. And then you've got Dan James, who I'm not I live in a likes him, but it seems that perhaps he'll, he'll let him go out on loan or may even sell him now that Ronaldo's come in. Um, so there's a lot of questions where United are concerned. And and with what Ronaldo will bring, we know he brings goals. We know he brings an aura. As you say, Joe, he, he went to Juventus. They went all in on winning the Champions League with him and that just didn't work. and And there was a, a regression at Juventus over recent years, which... Yeah, for me it's a coincidence that he happened to be there. I think it was a lot of a lot of poor transfers in recent seasons have, have been the biggest reason for Juventus' decline. Um, now the United as as I've said, they're in win now mode. They have to win a major trophy. Otherwise we look at this season and pure and simple it's a failure. Ronaldo has to play his part in that. Is he going to be the guy that scores the winning goal in tight games against the likes of Chelsea and City? We'll have to wait and see. But that's what he's been signed for. It's not to add gloss to three and four nil wins. It's to score those big goals in those big moments. And that's what he needs to do.
0: I think I saw earlier on Twitter that he is going to be on £510,000 a week, which uh, just that's a lot of money. know, let's just tear that in for a second. I think the three signs between them might have done about 1.1 1. 1 mil. A week, which is an awful lot of money, which doesn't mean as as much these days as it used to. To be fair, um, but, but yeah, let's just drink that in for a minute. That's an awful lot of money. Um, on transfers, Adam, um, Chelsea still linked with with a couple of names before transfer deadline day, which is of course tomorrow. Jules um, Kunde um, and Sal Niguez two two names being heavily linked with Chelsea. What's the latest on those? And do you see either of them coming in?
1: So yeah, with Jules Kunde, you know Chelsea have had an agreement with him for for a good few weeks now, but haven't managed to come to terms uh, with severe over a fee, it's looking at, you know, as things down, less likely that is going to happen um, in the next sort of day or two. Um, so that's maybe not one that, that does go through, despite, you know, conventional wisdom being over the last few weeks, that it probably was going to, at some stage, um, especially after Kurt Zuma left. Um, obviously the sort of emergence of, of Trevor Chalabur has given Tuchel an extra centre back already. So, so there is that covered off um, in terms of Saul, I mean, it, it's, it's a deal that would work for Chelsea as a loan with a with an option rather than an obligation, um, which I think is where this might sort of have a sticking point because from Atletico Madrid's perspective, I know Saul's a high earner, but why would you let a player who can have uh, an impact in your team, he's very versatile, or would you let him go to Chelsea without a certainty that you're going to receive a big fee for him because you're just going to lose him then for a season um, and, and not really get anything by his wages covered. So... Yeah, I think that might be one that doesn't happen. Um, there's sort of a rumbling in the background of Aurelien Tchouameni of Monaco. Chelsea met with his agent earlier this summer. Um, he actually got the same representatives as Jules Koundé, so there's that sort of symmetry there. So that could be one that Chelsea look to do if if the figures are right. Monaco not, not qualifying for the Champions League group stages may have uh, strengthened Chelsea's hand on that if they do want to go in. Um but as things stand, it's sort of Chelsea do have a couple of irons in the fire, but it's not looking as likely as maybe it did a few days ago that they're going to sort of pull one of them out um, before the deadline tomorrow. Uh,
0: just to finish, on, Alex, we'll, we'll touch on Liverpool again because this this podcast was on was on Liverpool and Chelsea. Um, you know, it probably seems a little bit unlikely, but one name that they are being linked with um, in, in the news is Eves Bissouma, who's obviously had you know a really good start to the season. He was really good that, uh, last season as well. Um, 40 million is the fee that's been touted I mean, he does kind of seem like the sort of player that Klopp might like you know he's very physical you um, could do you know the gig and pressing style if you like you would think um, so he might fit in there
2: but what do you think about that potential transfer? I think he'd be a terrific signing for Liverpool I, I think he he would fit in at any of the the elite clubs in the Premier League um, I think he's got such a high ceiling I think we've only really scratched the surface of what he's capable of at, at Brighton um, I think Graham Potter has has entrusted him with a lot um mm-hmm. since he since he moved to the south coast because at times you watch Brighton and he's kind of playing as a, as a one man central midfield on his own at times they have so much movement going ahead of him and he just he just kind of sits and everything pivots around him um his breaking up of play is tremendous he, he we saw the second goal against Watford over the week he, he was straightening on Tom Cleverley won the ball back quickly fed Neil Mooreby who scored um I think if he, if if this were a deal Liverpool could get done, and, and that Brighton were amiable to doing in in the next twenty four thirty six hours or so, then I see no reason why Liverpool shouldn't try and get it done. and And I think he would be an absolutely tremendous fit because I don't I don't think he's only a player that you would you would see playing in that Fabinho role. I think there is there is more to come from him going forwards and and having more of an influence in in an attacking third. You have to question, though, it's so late in the window, why would Brighton want to lose their best player? Um, You you understand Brighton's business model and that they do like to develop players and then sell them on for big money, as we've seen with the likes of Ben White. Bissouma, at some point, will leave. Um, I, I just don't think that this is probably the time. I think there will probably have been talks between he, his agent, that club, that, okay, if there's a good offer for you this summer, you can go. But we're now so close to to the to the end of the window that unless it's unless it's an offer that Brighton really just look at it and go that's so much in excess of what we value him as, we have to cash him now. I think he probably does stay. But if Liverpool, as I say, if Liverpool can get that deal done, if that's a possibility, I'd have no worries about Mesuma going to Liverpool and, and being an absolute standout player for them
0: okay i think that's all we've got time for today on football digest extra time we'll be back tomorrow of course tomorrow's transfer deadline day but we'll be back tomorrow with our efl podcast and then we will be back on wednesday with a roundup of transfer deadline day thank you adam for your time thank you alex for your time and as i say we'll be back tuesday wednesday thursday friday like we are every week thanks everybody for listening and also watching if you're on youtube